Hello, welcome to Telling Everybody Everything. It is a tough week for so many people everywhere. America's on fire. We never could have seen that coming. Unless you were one of the astronauts who very wisely fucked off from this planet about a week and a half ago, you'll know that this Black Lives Matter movement is protesting against police brutality, but just for justice. They're tired of seeing black people being killed by the police, and they're tired of systemic racism, point blank. This is specifically justice for George Floyd, but also Ahmaud, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, Trayvon Martin. There are so many. Growing up, I looked at everything face value. I did not have a foundation of knowledge in history, certainly not black American history. But now I know after Martin Luther King was murdered, people rioted all across America, like over a hundred American cities, and they cost $50 million in damage. And on the sixth day, the Civil Rights Act was passed. So protest does get results. And I see so many people in my timeline, like, well, why can't they just ask nicely? They've been asking nicely. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Please don't shoot me. I wasn't reaching for it. At what point in following me did you think, I'm going to say all lives matter to Catherine Ryan? You know, it's not clear where she stands politically. She'll be cool with it. These are the same people who want a straight pride parade. These are the same people who think women are lying about me too. These are the same people who go, but what about International Man's Day? Feminism is cancer, etc. I am privileged. I benefit from white privilege every day. I benefit from stunning privilege every day if such a thing exists. Straight white teeth privilege, blonde privilege. I'm on TV, so sometimes people think they already recognize me from university privilege. Pretty rich now privilege. Friends with Jimmy Carr privilege. There is nothing that I could do to get me shot by the police in any country. Well, I mean, certain places, if I did comedy, I would definitely definitely be imprisoned for a very long time. But I mean, my greatest worry in life right now is that I'll be talking about the Black Lives Matter movement on this podcast. And one of my 10 a lady commercials will come flying in. You don't know when the adverts are coming in. It's the wrong episode for it. You would think that people who disagree with me would not be listening anymore. But there are people who follow and listen to me just to make themselves mad. And they comment in my DMs or on my photos you know, that women aren't funny and this and that, but you're listening to everything that I say. So I guess what I wanted to do today is speak to you because you can change. I have changed. I come from a very different mindset that I have now. And the reason that my eyes are open to some of this stuff now is I learned how to be checked for lack of a better term by a lot of my friends. I learned how to accept that I benefit from privilege, but that doesn't mean I didn't work hard for the things that I have. I think what makes this discourse so difficult for that group of people in the middle is that they're defensive. They go, I'm not racist. Maybe not, but you have benefited from and participated in a system, a structure, which is inherently racist. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. So you don't have to get all up in arms. Oh, but I have also been arrested. Fine. Maybe you didn't know, but now you know. It's never too late to do something about it. And you can't be saying to an entire group of people, that didn't happen. No, that's not what I've seen on my timeline. People saying, oh, well, George Floyd getting killed, that wasn't racism. That was just for police who happened to be bad and kill someone. 
can you imagine how maddening it is for the whole world to be telling you that what you know is happening isn't happening? How many black prime ministers have you had? How many black families do you see on television in the UK? How many black people are on the board of directors at the company you work for? I get that criticism sucks, and it feels bad to think that you might have been part of something so harmful, but I'll just refer to one of the comments on my Instagram. The comments are always wild. People get into their own arguments in the comments, and he was asking why not speaking up makes him complicit to racism, because he's a good person, he thinks he has uh, equality with all the black people that he's friends with and works with. He doesn't get it. And then he started to get really angry. And a woman said, well, you're the one who's outraged because it's uncomfortable. You're defensive. And he says, I think you need to pick up a dictionary and look up what outraged means. I'm in no way outraged. I just think telling non-racist people that they are complicit in racism because they're not talking about it on a given day is pretty stupid. Oh, and thank you for telling me what privilege I have and have had without knowing a thing about me. I hope it makes you feel better and you get the likes you're craving. It boggles my mind that people assume this is a narrative that we want to join. Like it somehow benefits me to believe this imaginary narrative that inequality exists. Don't you think it would be easier for me to be like you and say, well, I I think all my friends are equal, all the black people that I work with and know, and there's no problem. And then just sit back in my lovely house and be able to walk around and have everyone be nice to me. Because maybe your neighborhood isn't overtly racist and the people that you know aren't. But what about when you travel? What about when you're applying for a job? What about when you encounter a group of people who are racist? I can go anywhere in the world, do anything in the world. I go to Texas and there's not a threat that there's going to be some confederate old man who hates me because of what I look like. I mean, he might put his hand up my skirt, but that's a whole other issue. I remember one very clear instance of privilege back when I had very little. I mean, it's not going to sound like it because I was in Cannes. Some people say can Cannes, south of France. This is such a white story already. My partner at the time was doing some work in con and they offered to fly the family as well. And it was such a big treat. We did not have very much money at that time. I certainly didn't have any pocket money, but I went out for a little two day holiday on the beach with my 18 month old daughter, Violet at the time. Con is such an expensive place. It's not as though we could go into cafes or restaurants or go shopping. He was working. I spent the two days just solidly with her on the beach in the shade, of course. And then she needed the loo. She refused to go in the sea, which, by the way, is the only cheap place to use the bathroom in Con. I could not afford to be a paying customer at any of the places that had a toilet. But she really needed to go. At this point, I really needed to go. And there's this big, beautiful hotel across the road, like five star, all these doormen, chandeliers, golden palace. And I thought, well, if I try to go in there, they're going to ask me questions. What if they yell at me? I'm not a guest of the hotel. I just decided to go for it. I walked through the doors, really terrified, and everyone smiled at me. And everyone who worked there, oh, bonjour, mademoiselle, vous avez besoin de la toilette? Oh, le bébé si mignon. Oh, la Like, just could not have been nicer. Would that have been my experience if I were a young black father in a hoodie? If I were a Muslim woman in a burqa? 
I don't know. You have to take those moments in your life and just recognize that could be a very different experience if I didn't look the way that I did. I just walk on into anywhere and piss all over it. I didn't piss all over it. Thanks to the comfort and protection of my panty liner. Just kidding. No, the advert is, but this, that would actually have been an appropriate place for the advert. Growing up in Sarnia, which is in southwestern Ontario, it's in Canada, but it's not far from Port Huron, Michigan, and Detroit, we didn't really have a lot of black families or people of color at that time in our town. We didn't. We had probably one black family at the school. But all the television back then was black family sitcoms. My earliest influences, my favorite things to watch on TV were black families. So I I didn't grow up with this idea, oh, it's just white families on TV. We don't have... Because actually, Bobby told me recently, we didn't have a lot of original programming at that time in Canada that we would watch. And we would get the television feed from Detroit. And I was like, oh, because I grew up watching Living Single, Family Matters. Family Matters had this comedic um, Jaleel White. He was Urkel. And I know in the UK, people are not familiar as much with Urkel, but He was so funny, such a clown to me at the time. I wanted to be Steve Urkel. And he fancied this beautiful girl, Laura. And that was a very smart, capable, stunning black female lead. I looked up to people like Laura. Sure, I wanted to be Urkel, but I was like, oh, she's amazing. She's stunning. The Cosby Show, unfortunately, I watched Moesha. Can you imagine a life without Moesha? Sister, sister, did you get those shows over here? I mean, A Different World, Living Color, Martin, The Wayans Brothers, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, The Parkers, obviously The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Sinbad. I wanted to be Martin Lawrence for a while in my life. I dressed my sister up as Gina, his girlfriend. And then there was a best friend, too, who was really funny. Who was that actress? See, the earliest female comedy characters that I saw were black women. Tashina Arnold was Pam. I always wanted to be the weird best friend, by the way, or Urkel, never the female lead. (laughs) So basically, I grew up thinking that the best comedians and all the celebrities were pretty much black people. And the reason we didn't have any in our town is they were all in Hollywood making these sitcoms. That does not mean that I haven't participated in a system of racism in my life, that I wouldn't be capable of having blind spots in doing things contribute to this pain. I've seen it described now by activists as being with our rhythm, not our blues. I had no concept of history, no foundation. We of course learned about slavery. We patted ourselves on the back for helping to abolish that. Um, We went to Uncle Tom's cabin one year for a class trip. I'm not sure if you're familiar in the UK, but it was one of the hideouts in the safe havens along the Underground Railway where slaves from America would come to Canada and be free. And we knew that racism was wrong and we were outraged about slavery, but we really believed that because we weren't being actively racist, that it was fine for us to sing all the words of a Tupac song. I genuinely used to sing every rap lyric that I wanted. And and I had this entitlement of like, well, if Tupac can say it, I can say it. I did that well into my teens. I told my daughter that. My daughter said, have you ever said the N-word, mommy? And I said, yeah, I used to sing it if it was in a song. And I got canceled in my own house for about a week and a half 
we weren't sophisticated enough as children to understand that ancestral pain continues, that prejudice continues, that segregation continues. And I wish so much that people could take this on board without being so defensive. People resist. They're like, no, I am a good person. No, I like black people. I have black family members. I am not a racist. No one is suggesting that you would join a KKK rally tomorrow. Racism doesn't always have to be overt. We all have some form of unconscious bias, and that's where your brain makes connections and draws conclusions that you're not even aware of based on information that it gathers from the world. So what it sees in life, what it sees on television, what it hears from the people that you hang around. So if I told you a story about a nurse who was really nice to me the last time I was at the hospital, you might have already pictured that nurse as a woman. You might have pictured her as like a little older, you know, blonde woman. I don't know, but that's your unconscious bias, just filling in the blanks of that story for you. Every time a young black man is killed, they find the most thuggish photos of him that they can. Meanwhile, a young white man rapes someone and they show him just being an A1 swimmer and an all-around good college guy with a bright future. There were two very different articles in the Huffington Post today about the way two film actors responded to a lot of the All Lives Matter trolling on their posts and see if you can hear the difference. So Seth Rogen wins praise for no-nonsense response to All Lives Matter comments. Then the other is, John Boyega dismisses claim he's using his platform to spout hate against white people. Keep your dutty mouth shut. Those are two very accomplished film actors who've done the exact same thing. It's phrased in two very different ways. Seth Rogen wins praise for being white. John Boyega dismisses claim he's using his platform to spout hate against white people. But wait a minute, wait a minute, why doesn't the black man win praise for doing the exact same thing? Something as small as that might not matter to you because you are a 75-year-old conservative white man who's always been accepted, who's experienced struggle, but never bigotry, never racism. I saw a viral tweet that said, oh, Canada must feel like the apartment above a meth lab with everything that's going on in the U.S., Canada, we sell asbestos to India out of a factory in Quebec. Asbestos is not allowed in Canada, but we're very happy to sell it to a country where it doesn't affect us. Canada has so many missing indigenous women, and there was a call to find them, and then that was kind of forgotten about. Indigenous people are still petitioning to be not called Red Indian. People still call them Indians. Oh yeah, by the way, we realized that you weren't from India, like we thought you were when our ancestors came here and stole the land and put all your children in residential schools and pretty much executed a genocide of you and your culture, but it's a little difficult to remember not to call you Indian for us, and it is a real bother to my day, so Indian it is. I mean, I just hope immigrants to Canada respect our culture enough to learn the language. Il faut respecter que c'est un pays bilingue. Alors il faut apprendre le français pour que vous puissiez l'apprendre aux Canadiennes who can't fucking speak it themselves. In high school, I'm very happy to tell you that a man came to give a talk about racism and my dumbass raised her hand and asked, what about reverse racism? And the man was 
dumbfounded. He was like, no, there's no such thing as reverse racism. There's only racism. And I was like, yeah, well, I mean, racism against white people, like affirmative action and how there need to be a certain number of this race and there need to be a certain number of women. Oh yeah. Did I forget to tell you that I was also a misogynist for a lot of my life? Why? Because I didn't have many influences. And at that age, you're just echoing what you've heard elsewhere. This was the perfect time to actually give me an answer. I didn't get an answer. People were so embarrassed and the talk was over anyway. So he kind of rolled his eyes and that was that. But I really needed to hear. I needed to be checked that early. I think you're never too young for someone to say, no, no one can be racist against white people because to have racism, there needs to be a foundation of oppression. Does that mean your white life has been perfect and without struggle? No, but you did have a 600% higher chance of being cast on friends. Do you know, I think England in particular has bamboozled people by placing such high importance on class we have rich and poor where I'm from, but there's no such thing as your grandfather's property portfolio, Lord Bishop of Canterbury Island, whatever you've got here, and everyone participates in it. There's such a divide in socioeconomic backgrounds. You go to different schools, you have a different perspective, a completely different start in life. All of our politicians come from the one bracket. And the working class allow themselves to be called the working class? Like, that's a bad thing? Can you imagine it being bad that you actually work for a living, you know how to cook and dress yourself? Only in the UK could a rich person sneer and be like, mm, the working class. Yeah, you mean like a human being? Actually, there's a really good book about this. It's E.P. Thompson, The Making of the Working Class, recommended to me by Akala, the famed academic, rapper, poet, teacher, historian, genius. I was on Frankie Boyle's New World Order with Akala about four or five years ago. Oh, it was the 2016 election, I think. And the question was asked, is the UK as racist as America? And I shook my head, no. I mean, even at that time, I was like, what? Absolutely not. The things we see in America. And I'm so glad I didn't embarrass myself by speaking because Akala obviously answered the question so perfectly, so eloquently to explain that, yes, police brutality that we see is much, much worse in the US, but it doesn't mean that a different almost taken for granted, covert, baked in structural racism doesn't exist here. This clip went viral and I encourage you to watch it in full if you want to search it. It's Akala Frankie Boyle. You can search that and it comes up. It's from the election autopsy, 2015 actually. And I don't own it, of course, so I can't play all of it, but I think I can play a few seconds without getting in trouble. I think that when we talk about race, we tend to focus on individual acts of prejudice is why UKIP often come up because they will overtly say stuff that we find offensive. But unfortunately, the issue of race, if we understand it, is a lot more insidious. And it takes a lot more of a historical view to understand the difference between individual bias and structural racism and privilege. And the idea of Great Britain was intimately tied to the fact that Britain's invaded almost every country on the earth, literally. No, literally, there's a map. You can, you can Google it. And so the idea of our greatness was intimately tied 
to this idea of empire, which was intimately tied to what Rudyard Kipling calls the white man's burden to go and civilize all these stupid brown folks that have been writing and having civilizations for thousands of years, but let's forget all of that. Brilliant man. Honestly changed my perspective on so many things. I am so, so grateful and fortunate that I got to meet him. I just had to address it in some way today. It's really difficult to know how you can be most meaningful. I think if you keep speaking up, if you keep donating, keep peacefully protesting, do whatever you have to do to protect black people and amplify black voices and listen without being defensive, especially when a black woman tells you what to do. Black women, look at how they vote. Look at how they parent. Look at how they don't put up with Tristan Thompson's nonsense. They seem to be always right. And by the way, how can Antifa be a terrorist organization when it just means anti-fascist? Fa is fascist. Anti-fascist. You can be a fascist or an anti-fascist, but the people in the middle just allow the bad guys to win. See Nazi Germany, please, as a reference. Oh, and lastly, on the subject of Great Britain and our current government, Black Asian minority ethnic people were disproportionately affected by COVID-19, and so there was a health report commissioned by that Matt Cockhand health secretary. And you know, you might have seen online, this was meant to come out a few days ago, and then it was meant to come out, and they keep delaying it, and now they've said they don't want to release it because they feel that it would be in too close proximity to the BLM protests and in bad taste. What is in that report? Oh, we do feel it would be in bad taste. Kind of like having seven kids with a bunch of different women across the land and then slagging off single mothers. Kind of like calling the LGBT community tank top wearing bum boys. Kind of like calling women in hijabs letterboxes? No. There's no racism in the UK. Sure, sure, sure. It is a shorter episode today because I honestly couldn't bear to talk about anything too lighthearted. I couldn't go through the emails. I couldn't deviate from this very pressing issue. I hope that it has reached somewhere within you. I mean, if you're not already having these conversations, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. Be prepared to lose a few relationships with loved ones at the dinner table. And you won't be alone in that. I mean, I just view it like shedding a very slimy snakeskin. Good riddance. Shape up or ship out. See you next week. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.